We're gonna talk about a bit of a different topic. I don't know if we had a, was a philosophical crisis. I think as a whole, everyone's having the same crisis. If you're in real estate, you're wondering, do you buy more or do you wait? It's tricky because the deals are popping up. Oh, they're, they're, they're popping up. There's, there's a lot of people out there that want to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem is, even if you want to buy stuff, I find more and more you're trying to talk yourself into it. Yeah, right? Like yeah. I'm negotiating with myself. And I'm like, well, I mean, I could do this. And if it does this and blah, blah, blah. And the other tough part is every single deal you run by financing, the loan of value sucks. Oh, it's terrible. When, when, when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. Again with the headphones, eh? I love the headphones. Neil Zelensky over here in the army fatigue. <laughs> uh, looking like he just came out from Desert Storm. Just trying to blend in so you wouldn't see me. <laughs> um, I'm getting ready for summer. No sleeves. Yeah, no, it's looking good. It's looking good. Thank you. Nice forest green on you. Uh, welcome to Master Keys Podcast. I'm Chandler Halberton. I'm Neil Andrino. And we're going to talk about a bit of a different topic. I don't know if we had a... Is it a philosophical crisis? What would we say? We've we, we just been... I think as a whole, everyone's having the same crisis. If you're in real estate, you're wondering, do you buy more or do you wait? Yeah. So, I, and I, that's... It's tricky because the deals... Are popping up. Oh, they're, they're, they're popping up. There's, there's a lot of people out there that want to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem is, even if you want to buy stuff, I find more and more you're trying to talk yourself into it. Yeah, right? Like, I'm negotiating with myself. And I'm like, well, I mean, I could do this. And if it does this and blah, blah, blah. It's pull like, a little scratch from here, pull a little yeah. scratch from there. And the other tough part is, every single deal you run by financing, the loan of value sucks. Oh, it's terrible. It's... Yeah, it, so, it's, it's, I, I kind of budget things now. If I'm looking to do a lift on a property, like a full, large-scale, um, whatever you want to call it, renovation, rehab, or eviction process, mm -hmm. you know, it's 35% down all day. Um, yeah. And then, increasingly, people want the premium still. Or like, I gotta, well, we'll, we'll talk to that most time. We're going we're gonna to get to that. That's going to be our, our main topic. But we're going to kind of go over a few other things as well in the lead up to that. We've got our key player, as yeah. always. Uh, we've got some interesting stuff in the we'll news, talk but about our main some topic. Commercial real yeah. estate. We'll talk about some AI. What's going on in the economy? There's we got lots of interesting things to talk about. Um, and it, it, be honest with you, when we came to make today's episode, we were thinking about like, what are we talking about? Yeah, uh, because probably a lot of you guys are as well. Um, so, anyways, let's get right into it. Um, the first thing I want to talk about, speaking of philosophical weird ideas, this is something I was thinking about because I'm always in this like weird <laughs> mindset of thinking way down the road and like what's going to change and i've always thought about real estate because everyone's got this like crazy amount of security in it because they're like well it's been this for 150 years it just always gets better um mm -hmm. and i'm like is it always going to get better and i was like what could actually impact it and there's like two major items and that's like population decreasing and we've talked about that on here before but the idea is that likely canada and north america as a whole being a first world nation will continue to grow at a pace that maintains that for kind of any the foreseeable future due to the fact that we are a great place to live and we live a very high level of life. And so people are constantly trying to get here to live that level of life. So, okay, fine. That one, that one makes sense to me. For another generation after that, it's really hard to say. But Yeah. But then did you see the Boston Dynamics video of their construction robot? <laughs> Which one? I've seen a few where, where like he the, goes and one grabs can dance, watch. Oh, the one he flips the box. The, and he, yeah, he flips the the bag yeah, up yeah, to the yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he backflips off of a set of scaffolding. Yeah. So mind blowing. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Boston Dynamics released a video of their little like humanoid robots. They've been doing robots forever. Like I feel like when I was growing up, I remember them making the like little. They look like dogs almost. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember watching a video of someone kicking it, and it could balance itself, which was like mind blowing to think that it had yeah. its, like ability to balance and stay up yeah. now they're at the point where the humanoid robots are legit like they can like build can a run. bridge they yeah. can run they can go up staircases they can jump up things and like so this video if you haven't seen it he puts a, a plank across uh, a gap goes up the steps runs across yeah. the plank grabs a bag for somebody who called for the bag um and it's a bag of tools and then he has to jump up a, a level of scaffolding so the normal human would use their hands and like push up, but because he's a robot with hydraulics, he literally just pops himself up there. Yeah, um, it looks and then, super weird too. Like, man, is this CGI? Because he just like pops and then sort of floats because you don't expect something that big and that heavy to just go whoop and up yeah. it goes, man. And then he flips the bag, uh, the bag of tools to the contractor, which also can do with insane precision and accuracy. So he like 
spins the bag like a, a bottle flip. Yeah. Lands it next to yeah. the contractor. <laughs> That's right. Um, that. And then he's standing up on the scaffolding like two flights up and pushes a box over um, and then looks at it and does like a inversion twirl backflip thing yeah. and lands perfectly on flexes at the end. Yeah. Just, just parkour. <laughs> yeah. He just does a full parkour yeah. and jumps off and does it. So anyways, if you haven't seen that video, I tried to describe it as best as I could, but it was impressive. Like a human couldn't have done that pretty much unless they're like an absolute machine. Like it'd be like the highest level of like parkour athlete. Well, there were some people trolling it were just like, Oh, so you mean like a human with a ladder? <sighs> right? Like, to some degree, a human can do that, but it's still showing the advancement in technology. Not 98% of the world's population, I would say. Well, couldn't do the backflip. The backflip, but that was not the most important also, part of the Also, to jump that lift, of, to jump a lift of scaffolding yeah. without having to use their arms. Yeah. Um, that was like a box jump. Anyways, yeah. or do the flip with the, with the bag of tools and land it. Anyways, mm-hmm. so we'll say that. But my bigger point was I saw that and I was like, shit, man, like, they're probably not that far off from getting to the point where they can actually do construction thing like i say construction things like construction trades or like yeah building concrete tasks, framing all oh, that'd be amazing concrete framing or like carrying a lot of materials and now i didn't think i was like I mean, i'm sure a bunch of people are thinking like oh i'm just gonna say a bunch of job loss i'm more considering the fact of like a cheaper alternative like if you could yeah. buy one of these machines for 100 grand and they can run and replace and they work 24 hours a day they work 24 hours a day and so i was like wait a second would that nuke the cost of construction? Because on the same note, so then you're like, now your your labor cost is going to start coming down dramatically. Yes, you're going to have to hire people that get paid astronomical numbers to run these robots uh, and all that. But again, I think it's like self-checkout. You have 10 self-checkout machines. There's a reason all the stores are going to self-checkout. It's not costing them more to have self-checkout, right? It is in the sense that people are stealing more, but they're doing it because they can replace five cashiers with one person yeah. that stands there and monitors... And again, can be 24 hours, no shift changeover, no health and benefits, yep. you know, no employee perks, no bathroom breaks, no smoke breaks. I mean, though, if they get a robot drywalling crew, can you imagine the robots oh, show up, they're missing teeth, and they have a crippling, <laughs> crippling meth addiction? Like, that's how you know the robots will have been perfectly fine-tuned. <laughs> it, gets, um, it gets to that point where, like, like, oh, shit, here come the drywall robots. Here we go. These D-Gen robots coming like, up on site. They're, like, kicking the other robots and shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're busted down for just filled with, like, empty dart packs it's and um, hydraulic bags. Hydraulic fluids leaking out and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout out to the drywallers there. We're just teasing. Um, but some, you all um, know a drywaller <laughs> like that. Don't pretend like you don't. <laughs> but, like, in all seriousness, like, and and they might, we get to the point where they would have um, a lower deficiency rate and, like, higher accuracy, like, better finish quality. Like, think about how, you know what I mean? So, because they're going to do everything perfectly. So, anyways, all that being said, then you're like, okay, so, but then you're going to have the material costs and they'll make up the, the price. But yes and no, because those factories will also become more automated too. yeah automated yeah. Yeah. and so i'm like shit son like you got robots building other robots this is where i'm at and so i'm like is it possible that in the next 10 15 20 years that you see this take place um and then we're building for way cheaper because like I, and the reason i said this is like i'm looking at stuff for like whatever 150 a door and i'm like what could ever undercut me and i'm like wait a second that freaking boston dynamics robot could undercut me yeah and so is that something and then but i'm like and in true form, and this is where real estate's kind of always saved itself, is that then the land value just goes up a ton because the people who own the land are like, well, I know the Boston Dynamic Robot can build for you for $80 a square foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and true. And so you're going to still make 12%. And so now the land, instead of it being worth <coughs> a million bucks, to is going to be worth $10 million bucks. Yeah, that's a good point because even if you look at how properties are financed, ultimately they're financing the land that just happens to come with a building on it. Um, and there's so much underlying value in that land. But... Uh, to, to, to your point, um, if you look at the 3D printing models, and there have been all these little oh, yeah. micro-scale 3D, 3D printed, printed printing houses. Yep. Um, <clears throat> again, lots of uh, lots of material costs that go into it in the sense that whatever that is that they're spewing out, like there's, there's a lot of it, but yep. it runs 24 hours a day. So you're watching like, this is going to take forever, but then when you realize it's 24 hours a day, so just inherently they are three times as many work hours in the day and with no breaks. And these robots could do the same thing. Like you could set up a, um, you know, a, a casting company or whatever it is, and provided they don't have any, um, you know, out of the ordinary 
noise issues, they could work 24 hours a day with no complaints from neighbors because they could also work in the dark, which sounds crazy, but there's a couple reasons that they stop work sites. They don't see. <laughs> they don't see. <laughs> they, they don't see, so it doesn't matter. I no. mean, they probably do have some... They, they have, have sensors some, and stuff. Like, yeah, it's... So <laughs> some of the issues like why work sites have to stop at a certain time, it's light pollution and noise pollution. Mm-hmm. These robots could just be working there 24 hours a day. That would be so sketchy. Yeah. Be kind of cool. This is where I'm like, well, a bunch of drunk kids would climb up there and mess with your robots would be the issue. Well, and then those drywall uh, robots would just beat the <laughs> shit out of kids. <laughs> well, you just get a couple of security robots. This is yeah. How, that would be kind of cool, like at nighttime to be like walking down a street and you walk past a construction site and all you hear is kind of the whizzing of like electric motors and stuff. Yeah. And you look over and they're just like... Robots are building a house for something. Robots are just building a house. Um, this is very timely because I went to uh, Jet Sushi over in Dartmouth the other day. Oh, I've seen this. I and the little there. robot delivers your sushi to How your table. That? It was amazing. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. It was so good. Um, well, I went, you, so what did you do? You had an iPad. You ordered your food. Yeah, you had an iPad. You, you select everything. Um, you order. Obviously, there's a chef back there making it. Um, but they essentially... The, the robot has... You know, five layers. Like trays? Uh, and then each has like a tray that can be put on there. So basically the server's job uh, or someone at the line when, when the food's coming out places the food on the trays. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the robot knows what tray goes to which table and just drives around like a Roomba, comes to your table, and it'll highlight which tray is yours. You take it off. As soon as you've taken it off, boom, it's gone to the next table. And it just goes around and around. Now, having said that, they were fully staffed, right? There was a lot of people still there. Just and just There's the... some things that didn't come out with the robot you know, and f- drinks and cutlery and all this thing. But there's only He's one robot. He's not allowed to serve liquor? Uh, I don't know if he just has was a little spilly. But no, I think it's because <laughs> the trays were so, like, shallow depth. Like, it wouldn't have the height for the drink or anything. But they just had one robot. And there's obviously the novelty to it. Like, my kids loved it. They're like, this is amazing. I think this sounds sick. Um, it had, like, a little cat face. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it was super cool. But um, there was, was, man, just... Was there any lines on the ground? Like, was there, like, tape lines nope. that it used? To f- so there was nothing on no. the floor that indicated... No. It just freeform drove around. No, so I'm not sure if there's maybe something it. under the table or if they pre-programmed it. Because I know with a lot of the... Um, there's ar- there's already been this technology for a long time, but but with 3D printing, like it gets set its course and it just goes that course. So you could kind of map out the layout of the property. Like, so provided the you don't move a table and get in its way, it knows its route, period. Well, did How did it handle like people walking around? Um, honestly, it would just stop. And then when the person moved, off it would go. I saw it like one or two times that it kind of got stuck in a weird spot and it had to do with like a booth close to a table when the server was there talking to them and it got stuck and then she'd press a rebut button and it just reset and off it would go. Interesting. Yeah. It was also I, pretty good food. Yeah, was it? Yeah, it was good. Maybe I'll go today. Yeah. Um, the, I feel like this is like what a lot of companies are doing and, and I think what they're doing with whatever company makes those machines is they're collecting data and, and building up the system and finding where the, the points like they probably have a thing in there where every time that button gets clicked they save oh, that like last 10 minutes yeah. and then it learns off of those yeah. um, those points so and that, that's my final thing I'm going to add to this whole Boston Dynamics we're going to be able to build real estate for 30k a door uh, beautiful units um, still need the materials but <laughs> But if they do all the mining and the tree cutting and then they actually manufacture it for you and a Tesla se- Tesla semi drives it to the factory autonomously for yeah, you. That'd be sick. That being said, all that tech it's is going to cost so much that yeah. it's still going to be very expensive. Um, but this all, whole idea that AI is being released into the world, um, machine learning is taking place at a higher level, like those things, I think everyone's like freaking out like is it going to take up the world and we're going to have an iRobot scenario. But I think the one thing that I'm excited about is if it does get to a point where those technologies can help technology advance at a faster pace. So like the idea that AI can advance our technologies way quicker. Like if you get let AI go off with a Boston Dynamics robot, I feel like the progress that the team of Boston Dynamics has made will expedite. And I'm sure they're already implementing it in certain ways, but yeah. as it gets better and better, the pace should get even faster. And so that's why I'm like, this might actually happen a lot quicker than we think because we're like, well, it's taken 20 years to go from a dog robot to this humanoid. But I feel like that humanoid only maybe five to seven years ago was barely like walking around, and now it's already doing backflips. Yeah, and- if, if you look like how quickly went from like steam engine technology to putting someone on the moon, like yeah, it's, it's crazy how quick that was. So it's it's easy to imagine something similar in this kind of sector. Um, let's just change lanes really abruptly, if that's all you've got to say on that, because I wanted to highlight a couple things, because. Um, 
Hit me. I know we've talked about inflation, but it is, has been the major story for going on 18 months now. Yep. And I mentioned that month um, count uh, for, for a specific reason. Canadian inflation for last month, the numbers just came out. That's so coming up for, for February. Uh, it is down to 5.2%, which you may remember, we went from 6.2 in December to 5.9 in January, and now 5.2 for February. It's fantastic. That's yeah, really good. That is really good. Um, it is also the lowest it's been since January of last year. So we are now effectively at the same inflation rate, 5.2%, as we were before the biggest of the run-ups and before the the rate jacking that that ensued shortly thereafter. It also, one of the things we were talking about at length or months ago, was how long it takes for these interest rate hikes to trickle down through the economy. Yeah, so now we're and them. we started making hikes initially, I think, in March of last year. I'd have to, you know, really think about the first rate hike last year, but... We said at the time, it's going to take 12 to 18 months to really feel the effects of those and to see how that trickles th- throughout the economy. Um, and here we are a year later, and inflation is coming back down to at least some sort of, pal- no, I don't want to say palatable, but like it's stomachable, 5.2%. If we continue on this trajectory, we're going to be in the fours uh, after this month. So that's not that far off the target inflation rate, which is 2 to 3%. Right, we like to keep inflation between two and three percent is is sort of the target. So it also gives a high level of confidence that the Bank of Canada is not going to increase rates. Yep, um, that's good because there's a lot of pressure in the states to also now not increase rates given everything that's going down there with a second bank since we we last talked uh, going under as well. Um, so this is good news. This is very good news. <clears throat> the underlying thing, of course, is that food prices are way up, and there's going to have to be some reckoning in the food market. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, but as these, you know, it'll be really interesting when the, you know, big food grocer suppliers release their quarterly earnings for this first quarter of this year, um, how people respond to that. Cause I think there's gonna be some angry people when their profits are going to remain unchanged or if anything increased while food prices go up and everyone's kind of really struggling. However, they're so smart. They can move debt around on paper really easily. Uh, I'm sure they can find some like risk of spoilage or default or whatever and, and move these hypothetical losses onto their ledgers to keep their net earnings down. But they also have shareholder pressure to increase value. So I don't know, man. But if those earnings are up and they made bigger profits for Q1, and people are going to be pissed, man. Because at this point, well, groceries, they did. groceries they, are the only thing. Q4, they blew it out of the water. Yeah. So yeah. It's weird. Don't you think it's odd that we don't hear more about that? Like all the things that people are angry about Everything that people are angry about. I feel like it keeps coming out and, and then it just kind of gets nuked. Like I, I see Weird, it for a man. second and then it goes away. Um, also, I remember No Name. I talked about how they were doing to do a price freeze at the highest prices ever. And it was like, what the hell? Yeah. Did they cancel the price freeze? Because some shit definitely went up in price that I've been buying. Like I was there picking up some stuff and I was like, wait a second. I was like, that was not. Well, we also talked about shrinkflation. Like everything that you buy is just getting smaller. Like same price, but now it's half the size. But this was like a this is a bag of berries that I buy every week. They took strawberries out of my bag of berries. Yeah, I've known I've known that all that always sort of took place depending on yields. Oh my gosh, man. I'm like, man, why the new packaging? And why no strawberries? Because yeah. strawberries are super expensive. Yes. And so now my mixed berry doesn't have strawberry and I had to buy my strawberry separate. Oh, you're you're oh, that man. guy. You, Money's no object. No... I'm just paying through the <laughs> nose for these goddamn strawberries. You must have I must have these strawberries or my shit. What mix do you buy? You mix like Mud. How often do you have a shake? Er day. Really? Er day. I should start doing that. They're so yeah. yummy. A little protein in there. You put protein in. What flavor of protein do you put in? Vanilla. Vanilla? Interesting. And I do oat milk, but like only like oat half milk. oat milk, half water. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. I have oat milk in the house. Uh, Maybe you'd fill up that shirt a little more if you had. <laughs> Just kidding. Funny. It is hanging on for dear life. <laughs> 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 I like the baseball cut, though. Baseball cut's always flat. That's nice, right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You look good. You look um, good. So anyway... But um, but also, if, imagine was, food came down. We would be in fo- we would be in the four four percent right now. Like we'd be upper fours yeah, right, right now. Food's if, hot, really if holding food, everything up right now. Yeah. Stop eating is, everybody. If you guys could just chill out on the purchasing of food. Yeah. Did you see all the stuff in the, the strawberries? You're where, the one that's I know. I'm screwing just, it up. Like why? <laughs> we got a market driver <laughs> over. Ninety eight percent of the people have slowed down on purchasing. Chandler yeah. has increased. <laughs> um, but 
they, they actually were closing a bunch of places in the states and hiring more and more security guards because the theft. Well, that's and I've seen that here too. All, all the stores have put in like like the superstore here has gates when you walk in now, gates at the self checkout and then gates at the exit, and there's yeah. people everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know if we have the freedom thing here, but like I've definitely been guilty of accidentally not scanning some shit in my card. Oh yeah, <laughs> accidentally on purpose. I was a university student. Sometimes you need Mr. Noodles. It's great song by Ghetto Socks called Steal from Walmart. Oh and it is about stealing from Walmart. Um, I'm surprised grocery stores don't follow the same thing. So real estate, in, like for big real estate, a majority of the real estate that's owned in Canada, it's in REITs. Um, and the REITs follow a very strict set of rules. They're only allowed to make a certain amount of a return, basically. And they have to pass it out to their shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That's why I think on average, a lot of times too, you'll see that they actually have more affordable units than sometimes in their properties. Um, just because they're not as incentivized and they're not like too... Because they pay out dividends? Is that how they it They have to pay out like all of it in dividends. And they can only mm. keep a certain rate. I'm surprised they haven't done that with food and, and groceries uh, to help put a little bit of a slowdown on it where it's like, you guys can only make X amount of dollars. Um, totally. And and you can make more money, but then you have to pay it back to your... Like to, to the people who buy groceries, whether it be through like reduced pricing um, or potentially through shareholders, because that's the one tough part with the REITs. Yeah, they have to pay it out to their shareholders, but the most of the shareholders are not the average Joe. Yeah, yeah, right. They're their banks and their and or their other big REITs or other investment funds. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that's that's. It's also hard about. because historically the margins on food are ridiculously low, but increasingly more things are moving towards packaged. So, like the margins on produce, basically non-existent. The margins on this other crap that we're now feeding people, pretty high. Yeah, 100%. Produce is expensive. Yeah. Real expensive. Everything's expensive. And uh, there, there are climate reasons in all the greenhouse. Uh, there's a bunch of um, environmental things that made it, and, and supply things that made it almost impossible to run a lot of these greenhouses in the States. Yeah. And as a result, you know, <laughs> I can't get strawberry, strawberries in my damn berry mix. Oh my God, he's still so, on strawberries. This is a challenge. We're all struggling. But all right. Let me now. On that same note, we've talked about yeah. Okay, so our inflation's down, which is great. But the states have made a rate hike. They're talking about doing another one. They've reduced the size of it potentially due to the SVB Credit Suisse world hmm. that's taking place out there. Yeah. Um. Uh, but we have a concern because their inflation hasn't come down nearly as much, and where we are so heavily reliant on them for a lot of the products that we consume, some strawberries, I imagine. Um. We're gonna have we're gonna face inflation because of them, right? Like if the states have inflation, we have inflation, right? Because our dollar's going down and we have to buy more stuff and from them and blah blah. Yeah. Additionally, our dollar's going down, which will also heighten the inflation exactly. Um, and so we talked about that. If that takes place, then they're gonna have to raise rates here. But then the counter to that is if they raise rates, the biggest driver of our economy, which is real estate, is gonna go down and take a beat down. And so it's coming out. And I, I was sent this yesterday night. Um, and basically, it was to save the economy, we need to save the currency, which we'll do through housing, which will, which will actually mm-hmm. result in long-term rates being dropped. Canada doesn't do the long-term mortgages like Canada, or like the states does, and that could be why the Canadian banks will have to change their systems. So that's I put that in there. But basically, it actually is panning out to be potentially beneficial because Canada is so reliant on their real estate to maintain the value of their currency, they need to do that. And why that would be is because think about how much foreign investment takes place in Canada. So they have to buy Canadian dollars right? and hold yeah. Canadian dollars, right? It's like any other investment. If you look at it like that, the, you want people to buy your dollar, right? Right. And so if our real estate goes to shit, usually that means that or if our currency goes to shit, people will buy a bunch more of our currency, potentially if they see an opportunity to go up from there. Yeah. And so that's what they're trying to incentivize here by saying, look, we don't necessarily want to hit the rates any harder. And we're going to try and make long-term rates really good, which will stabilize our real estate market, which should incentivize, at this point in time, more people to invest in the Canadian dollar and to then ultimately buy Canadian real But isn't that counterintuitive well. to this foreign buyer ban that they did? It is, and that's why I, I don't know if it'll end up sticking around or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and potentially they don't... Maybe maybe they're looking for people within Canada, which I don't understand how it's going to work. Um well, here's here's another angle: is the foreign buyer ban I think, is a I think way to say, "Hey, you can't just dip your toes here. You got to bring the money over for real." Yeah. And whether or not you have to set up a shell company to do it, whatever, whatever, you're going to bring the money fully here because we're going to tax you on it. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if and and I kind of understand that logic to some degree. Like, if you're going to come here, come here all the way, pay us tax dollars and stuff like that. 
Um, and then there may just be, this may be a protective measure where they're like, okay, if we, we do want this investment, and that's a good point about the fact that if they're buying real estate here, they're inherently buying Canadian dollars here, uh, which supports the value of our, of our dollar. And maybe they're worried that at this particular moment, this snapshot in time, our dollar being weak, our real estate market being weak, it's it's a time to give away a lot of dollars and a lot of equity for below market. And that's what I was about to say. Yeah. I think it's it's to give a moment for people locally to regain some strength in their holdings, and then they can reopen the doors uh, to foreign purchasing. Um, and also, I think at a, a higher like institutional level, I don't like it. You can still buy, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm talking about like realistically, these movements aren't on the consumer level. Like it's they're looking for like the big movements of people buying like massive portfolios, investing in giant commercial buildouts like yeah. malls and all that. Or that's, buying commercial businesses. Buying yeah. commercial businesses, and that's still allowed. Yeah. Right. Like even the foreign buyer, and you're about allowed to buy what is it, over three units, four units. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So realistically, like that still takes place as a whole. And I think they're trying to just protect the average Canadian to be able to buy a home. And they're like, look, we're trying to funnel the money towards investments. Like we want companies to come in overseas, feel strength in our, in our real estate market and buy massive buildings or buy parcels of land and build big ass apartment buildings and big commercial plazas and malls and all that kind of stuff. And that's, those are usually the ones that move the needle too. Cause it's like a, you look at like a neighborhood, the whole suburb might be worth X, but the shopping mall is probably worth almost as much as the whole thing. Because yeah. it's a driver of so much, right? Um, and so I think, uh, oddly enough, I'm now feeling this like new. This is where, and this is why we want to talk about: Do you buy or do you wait? Because what I'm getting at with this whole thing is, short-term money is probably not going to get cheaper. But what they're going to do is, with, with is, is they're going to target long-term money, right? Five-year mortgages, and we already you're seeing that that bonds are way down, and that means in turn that five-year mortgages are pretty cheap. Um, and I think we might go towards like maybe they start to push 10-year mortgages and consumers because the states have 30-year mortgages and they've said 97% of their consumers haven't actually been impacted on their mortgage payment by this yeah, rate hike in the states in. Yeah. because they're locked in for 10 plus years, 20 plus years. And so it actually worked out really good, but ultimately that's why they're also still having more inflation because people aren't feeling it, right? Our mm-hmm. inflation got curbed really quickly because... Everyone's mortgage right payment away. went up yeah, right away it, yeah. versus there. They didn't feel it anymore. It's the businesses that are slowing down and then eventually it's trickling through. Um, and so it's hard to say what the right answer is. And I think that's why they're also trying to keep them from going too long. But maybe they'll offer start offering more 10-year product, hmm. right? Yeah. And again, they're going to really incentivize you to take a five-year term. I think though there's going to be more people, depending on how long people's memories are, Like this could be the jolt to the system that steers people towards longer terms and away from variable because people are going to remember this well the, myself i'm going to remember it you know be like oh damn man like the i started taking variables maybe like four years ago it was probably the first variable i ever took and it was a good two and a half years yeah and now it's been a shit 12 months right um so i'm going to remember that go back and, to our fixed versus variable episode oh god that did not just, age well just throwing it out there um, um but even now, it's not even about remembering it and doing it on your next one. It's like people are going to have to because if you're on a variable product right now, it's like, look, you're paying 6.5% rate and this is your payment. You can switch this mortgage to a five-year rate right now at 4.5. Uh, maybe not 4.5. but Not 4.5 yet. Yeah. yeah. Yet. So that, They're that's literally talking that. about putting downward pressure on long-term rates. Yeah. What's so frustrating, and we've talked about this before, is obviously that the banks pack, pass along the expenses but not the savings. So even though, I mean, the bond... Stuff has been going up and down, up and down. But it's, it's generally speaking down. But the banks have been hesitant to lower their five-year fixed as aggressively. One, because they don't like passing on savings to the consumer. You see it on the commercial side, though, and they see it first. Yeah, but also when there's that level of uncertainty, they're kind of reluctant to be like, oh, it just went down 80 points yesterday. Well, let's, you know, drop, yeah. uh, let's drop our rates because... You know, then someone takes that rate that day, and the next day it goes back up. You know, however many points. No consistency. Right. So that there is a a business and a logical reason as to why they're slow in in passing those benefits along. But you are starting to see it. But I was doing all my taxes, or starting to do my taxes. So of course I've got all my mortgage statements. And man, I've got these mortgage statements where it shows your rate on January first. It was like two percent. Your rate now six oh, percent. No. And to stare at that and be like, God. Damn, what a ride. <laughs> what a ride. Um, but literally, you, got, you see it there right in front of you, and you can look at, at your amounts of payments because it keeps updating like what your payment was over the time. And um, it's pretty it's pretty depressing to look at, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, a point kind of related to this. 
Oh, but one of the things that was interesting, this is what I was going to say. Um, so I've got these products that are, in some cases, 6%. On These are small-scale multis. These were things that I've owned for a long time. I bought them in my personal name. They're like duplexes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So You still buy those. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I haven't bought a duplex in a long time. Uh, mess off. Um, isn't that true? Portland? Oh, come on. That was a package. That was several <laughs> duplexes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, but in buying those... Oh, yeah. So I, I just um, locked in a, a, a commercial product because I finished a renovation. So now I convert mm-hmm. the construction financing to um, a new mortgage. Uh, if you're curious about how that works, check out the Patreon. We just did a breakdown on um, renovation, financing, construction, draws, that stuff. Really worth checking out, so check out the Patreon. Hey, thanks for listening to this point. Please stay tuned for the second half. We've got some really interesting things we talk about. Specifically, is this a good time to buy? We look at a couple different market sectors, and then we even sort of talk philosophically about motivations to buy and and what we're personally doing, what we're seeing out there. So keep listening. Um but I was looking at it, I was like, man, my old mortgage when I started was like 3.59. That's a great fixed rate. That's on the first half of, of the, the project, essentially when I bought yeah. it. And now my new rate for the renovation, I think I'm at like 5.8, which actually is not terrible. Nope. You know what's the rate right now for Scotia on a duplex would be if I went out and bought a duplex with Scotia Bank right now, no. residential? No. Like six and a quarter? So like the commercial new money rate on that is cheaper than a major five lender on an owner-occupied duplex. So it's not a bad rate. And blended, like I'm paying... Is that a five-year term, though? No, I only took a two. Okay, I I was say, two. I'd be very curious to see what a five... I, I, it I wasn't much different, man. I think I think it was like I could do a one-year at like 5.79, a two-year at 5.89, a three-year at 5.99, a five at 6.1. Like, you know, like they is, were close. And this is, where, this is where some of the private banks have value, right? Like... Right now, it's like Quest Mortgage, 4.59%. Uh, Laurentian Bank, 4.79%. Um, but the, is this for like duplexes and stuff on Rockpile or are those commercial rates? Those are just those are residential rates. Yeah, yeah. So, and but there's always a, asterisks on those. Like the part of the reason Scotia One is there is they charge a, a 50 point premium for it being a rental property. So there's probably, they would probably have something similar, 50 point premium. Um, they may yeah. not have, you know, purchase plus improvements, blah, blah. But In whatever. general, the private yeah. banks are, <clears throat> are cheaper. Yeah. Um, but again, then the concern with private banks is you have the SVBs and the credit suite situations. And also, we, we gloss over this. I was listening to the other the episode the other day because I'm weird and I listen to our own episodes. That's good. Um, How do you improve? One of the things we glossed over was like, oh, yeah, and other banks invest in those banks. And we just kept talking. It's like, that's pretty material in and the sense that like bigger banks invest in these smaller banks. Um, and so that sort of damage headed upward is is relevant. And I'm not saying these small boat banks in Canada necessarily had exposure to Silicon Valley or Signature, but you know they are more exposed, and you know there's a lot of intertwining, there's a lot of cross pollination between these banks, especially in the states, and that's why there's a bit more concern that um, the buck won't just stop with with these two banks. And exactly, that's where a run on banks kind of takes place. That's how that that's how that happens. And Again, at a high level, I think we talked about it last time, but for those of you, I'm sure everyone's hearing SVB and Credit Suisse uh, in the news because of everything that's going on. Credit Suisse is getting bailed out as well, right, through a purchase. Um, it's on a very basic level. It's the deposits that you put into these banks, they then use to go out and invest. They make whatever types of investments. And it's all good in the hood as long as you don't call for it all back, Right. And even sometimes if you do, it's fine because if the market's up, which it's been for the last whatever amount of years, it was it was okay to do so, right? Or like the start of COVID, it was a blip. So it wasn't so long that people started pulling their money and so they were able to get through it. And then following that immediately, there was this huge growth period. And so you said, okay, I want my million bucks back. They could sell whatever investment they had for probably more than a million dollars. And so it's no big deal. They still take in a profit. They're more just focused on how much profit they can make. But then now on the flip side, as things have gone the opposite direction they're going down when you call for your million bucks they might have to sell that investment for 800 grand and so now they're realizing a loss of two hundred thousand dollars that doesn't show well on, on, a, ba- on a bank statement right mm-hmm. like when they have yeah, to exactly. when they have to post their profits their earnings and people are seeing that then they're like oh shit why did they hit a loss on that and like oh wait a second that's an investment that is 25 percent of their portfolio oh shit so then now people are like i don't really want to be held in this bank for two reasons, so like as an investor, like you're holding stock in that bank, you are 
holding stock in that bank not because you're just like, oh, I love SVB so much. You're doing because I'm like, I want to make a return on SVB. Mm-hmm. Well, SVB is losing money now because they're yeah. having to dole out these, sell some investments to pay out. So I'm going to pull my money too. And Which so is then what st- a lot of their executives did. Exactly. And so, that, <laughs> yeah, it's true. And so that's what you start happening is everyone starts pulling their money out. Not simply even just like because it's fear, but it's also the aspect of just like it's a, it's not a great place to get a return or like the, the savings accounts aren't paying out as much as they were before. And then they're no longer, their borrowing profile as a bank gets crushed. So they can't borrow at preferred rates and all these things. Yeah. And so then it, and it runs down from there and then exactly it, it goes to the next bank because it's like, oh shit, this next bank had a 10% stake in that current bank and people will see that. And there's, again, it usually starts with the investors because investor uh, like hedge funds and that, they're looking into literally exactly what these banks are holding. The average, again, residential consumer, I don't think is looking through those things. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it starts with those investors. And then once it hits the news, that it's like, oh, JP Morgan sold a billion dollars worth of holdings of this bank. And then the average person's like, oh, hell no. And they want to sell theirs. And it, it kind of runs off from there. So again, just to give you guys a, a high level idea, because I think a lot of times I see these articles and you're like, oh shit, these banks are falling, but what's going on? I think that kind of helps it make sense of it all. Um, now again, what took place is they're getting bailed out. So money, basically the government's reprinting money and, and bailing yeah. them out to help show signs of strength and keep the faith in the market as a whole, um, and to avoid having huge losses <laughs> everywhere else. So people who have deposits and stuff like that are getting those covered, um, to ensure that sentiment isn't completely lost. But again, if a run goes, it's going to be difficult for them to bail everybody out. Because then we're in the same spot where they've just pumped a shitload of money into the market. Yeah, um, so. yeah and again, like you want inflation to do this, like or you sorry, you want these rate hikes to do this. You want them to break some things, and then um, everyone is a little tighter with their money, and, and blah blah. But then you realize, oh yeah, this has real world consequences. And it's ironic that some things are too big to fail, but then the average person out there is you know too small to to be cared about in, in a lot of ways. But um, on that note, because this all ties together. Um, you may remember, we, we talked about this really briefly that last month, the average home price in Canada actually ticked up a little bit month over month. It was, it was a tiny amount. I think it was up yeah, like yeah. seven grand or something like that across the country, which is less than, relatively one, flat. Le- less than 1%. Yeah. Right. Um, however, it was over a, a wide cross section of sales. It was statistically significant, suggesting some support at the bottom of the market, right? The prices were, were finding a lot of support. We certainly are seeing that locally. Uh, again, last week, I think we were 99.7% of asking price, uh, probably around 30% of homes selling over ask, yep. all these things, and, and of course, strongest in the core areas. However, something worth noting is that mortgage approvals and pre-approvals and people going out there getting prepped for mortgages... Spiked. No. Really? Down. When? For February, year over year. Uh, okay. Right? So, but I mean, down, that was the height... But f- how much? How much do you think? Well, it's always going to be something insane, like 79%. No, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, literally. It's, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Actual 30, 35 to 40%. I think it was 42%. So this means Dialed. the amount, of, if you're a real estate agent out there and you're wondering, like, how's the year going to go? Well, how was your year last year? Is that how we and, talk? Some of them talk a little bit like that. Hmm. Um, how was your year last year? And uh, then imagine. 40, there's 42% less buying power amongst buyers getting getting pre-approved right now. But then we also had a spike in totally. January. Oh, 100%. 100%. That is, that is comparing um, like a psycho levels. However, it was also like the lowest month in something like, certainly since before the pandemic. And I think going back like a roughly 10 years, that was the slowest month. And there's two things. One, the rates are higher. So the actual dollar amount that they can get pre-approved for or approved for mm-hmm. is less. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's that pressure. It's just there's less approval, but also seems to probably suggest there's less people running out and getting approved for mortgages. I mean, there's going to be less buyers. Um, so there's if I there's forty two percent. I ain't shook. I ain't shook. No, I ain't shook. Uh, no, I think there's going to be a resurgence because if we just talked about what we just said, where if long term rates come down and people start hearing about that, well, that's the thing. They're going to go race back. Like, oh wait a second, I, I can get a four percent rate uh, on a five year term. Let, let me go back and get approved on that. If 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 a rate came out. I'm trying to think what the best, like, floating around. Yeah, if, if a rate came out right now, like some sort of rate special, that if, you know, you took this rate and you had to close a home in, say, 60 days, and the rate was, like, 4.59, can you imagine? They have 4.59 psych- available for residential buying. Well, wherever that one is, but, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I'm telling you, there, and like you said, there's going to be promos that go on. People are going to start getting iPads and shit to buy houses. And <laughs> seriously, that's what they do, <laughs> right? They, they, right now. they bring you, they, they see, and then you're going to go buy a house. I know you. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, that'll that'll come back. I honestly think I I, understand, I do agree that it, it is an indicator that like oh shit like this is way less volume for the next little bit. But I think everyone's nervous. Nobody knows what's going to happen, which is also why we're doing the topic of should you buy or should you wait. I want to have a little meter. Can we get this? And it's a little meter. Every episode we say, and it's a neil it's a nilometer, <laughs> and it's going to be like bull or bear, because like one I swing, one I day swing you're heavily. like. Oh, the real estate market's trash. And then the next week, you're like, well, rates are going to go down. The real estate market's going to go crazy. <laughs> so we need the Neil and we do need and we'll meter. identify it every week. Everyone tells me I'm too negative about it. Um, uh. But all right, we're going we're gonna to pivot here to our main topic, which is this loaded question of like, is now a good time to buy? Because we've been, you know, we've said we have a lot of opportunities coming across our desk right now. And we're trying to figure out what we're doing here. But first, before we do that, let's do our key player. Yeah. I had a bunch of stuff here, but I guess I can save it for the next pod. I mean, we got a lot of... St- we're, we're, Holy we're smokes. Okay, yeah. Yo, let's get the key player of the week. He's a little bit of an off-brand, and he's not necessarily heavily involved in real estate, but his name is Ryan Reynolds. You may know him. Good Van buddy Wilder. of mine. Good buddy, Neil. Good, yeah. good friend of the show. Big yeah. fan. We love you, Ryan. Thanks for listening, Ryan. Thanks for sending the gift box. But he's not on here for being an actor. He's on here for being a shrewd business person. He's a talented thespian. He, I don't even know what you just said, but that sounds very neat. And <laughs> what I want to really get into is all the things that he's done. So he had the Aviation Gin. I don't know if you guys remember that. That was one of his first yep. forays way back. That sold out for billions of dollars. Then he billions involved, with a B? Yeah. Oh, my God. Everything is billions with a B. He and got my grandmother's involved. long since passed, so it's not her buying all that gin. Where he interested me more, everyone's seen him as T-Mobile. Mint, the, oh, yeah, The mint. sale that's going on yep. right now. It looks like he's in net around $300 million. Nothing, nothing serious, just casual 300 mil. Additionally, he's involved in Wealth Simple, which I found really interesting. So he's not just, I think, another one of these uh, celebrities that's trying to utilize their brand to grow all these other brands. And they're like, I'm the man, so I have this water called Ryan Water. And you're like, this is still shit. Like he created not, a not mobile, only- which was a, a discount brand that actually allowed people to afford their cell phones. Not only that, he's not just saying, oh, I'll be your spokesperson. It's like, yeah. no, no, I want to own. Right, and this was yeah. a, a this has been a huge shift in celebrity endorsements. Where it used to be, I will sit up there and peddle your product, yeah. and say, "Yeah, I use Icy Hot all the time," and now it's, "No, bring me in, and and if I can own the company and I believe in it, then I will be your spokesperson for free." Um, yeah. But I want in at the ground level, and and that's why these people, uh, and credit like to some degree like the Kardashians and these types who are like, "No, no, we're going to build it ourselves." Yep. Um, yeah, I, it's. And it takes a certain skill, a ton of effort, and these are why we're calling him out again and, and where I think he differs from a lot of people. Um, and also, and he's in the process, for me, it's close to home, of purchasing the Ottawa Senators. I grew up in Ottawa, for some of you that already know that. Uh, was an avid fan as a kid. Don't follow it much anymore. But I think it'd be super cool to have someone uh, like that involved because based on his track record of success, it would be a really neat project for him. And I've already heard that they're talking about moving the stadium to a more downtown location. So... That's amazing. He also has his Maximum Effort Studio, which is a workout studio uh, network, and he's partnered with Fubo TV to help grow that as well. So, so Fubo TV, Fubo, Fubo, Fubo. Okay, I don't even know how to say it. But anyways, he's our key player of the week, and I think it's a good reminder that real estate's not the only way. It's a very great way to make money, but I think this is a reminder that there's a ton of other opportunities out there, but you need to commit yourself to them. And did you mention he owns that British football team too? I yeah. soccer. I opened his list of stuff that he owns, and it was massive. So anyways, Ryan, thanks for listening. Can't wait for you to come on the pod. Yeah, still big fan of Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Yeah. That's a... I like Deadpool. before your time. I like Deadpool guy. Oh, I love Deadpool. Yeah. And Van Wilder is classic as well. Yeah. Um, But not just a beautiful idiot, despite what you may have heard. He's a very smart guy, obviously. Yeah. Um, So now... Keep player of the week. Keep player of the week. So, again... Very handsome, too. Shut up, Blake Lively. They're very charming. Send... uh, Gossip Girl. XOXO. (laughs) Oh, my God. Jesus. Fanboy much? I'm on one. Blake is a G. Anyways, if you have a key player of the week you'd like to nominate, send them in. We had a couple come since last episode. Oh, nice. Uh, so just gathering the information there, and we will gladly shout them out, and some of them will come on the pod. So we want to hear from you guys. If you have young investors, old investors, people who are involved in the game, banking, anything that you find impressive that someone's done that you think is worthy talking about or you're interested in hearing some answers from them, Yeah, and if you think know. we should get them on, like, be like, hey, you should probably have this person on. Yeah. So anyways... We now want to move to 
should you buy or should you wait? And I, the reason we want to do this is because literally Chandler and I talk every single day and debate our lives on whether to purchase. I think we almost always have constantly things under contract for ourselves. I currently have uh, three things under contract for myself and I am back and forth partially because of the financing options that are available. Uh, and But it's also in the back of my head that if that's what's going on, does it make sense to be purchasing? Um, I've always been an advocate of go kind of against the flow in some sense. I always want to go with the flow as a whole, but you don't necessarily, I don't mean following the trend of the crowd, but going where, where it's easy to buy and where the, to make the, money. The, yeah, the legislation sentiment, the exactly the, the market support for what you're doing, that sort e of thing, yeah. Exactly. So part of me is like, I like <clears> the fact that it's more difficult because that's, that's keeping out a lot of the fire and keeping the prices reasonable. That's on true. The, on the other side, it's that, okay, like I can't get the loan value that I want. Um, and so the returns are really neutered. And if this doesn't grow, I'm going to stagnate my money. Mm -hmm. um, so... The first one was I want to talk about was commercial real estate. And I think for some of you guys, like, what the hell? Like, I want to buy a duplex or single family home, and that's what I want to know about. But commercial real estate is something that might be more attainable than you think because you don't have to go buy a massive office tower or a strip mall. You, there's singular small commercial buildings that you can purchase and rent out. And you can do very well on them. And if you, if you look into them, you'll notice that they have very high cap rates. I don't know if you oh, know. Yeah. In comparison when to residential. commercial is leased, it is a gold mine. When it's vacant, it's a like, little trickier, but... To get an 8% cap on, on commercial is not mind-blowing. To buy yeah. at a 6 or a 7 is not yeah. mind-blowing. Whereas in, in residential, in a city, to no, try and God. buy at 6, 7, or 8... It's not happening. Not there is a 0% chance you're doing that. Um, maybe if it's marketed as an Airbnb property, but that, <laughs> to me, doesn't count as a 7 or 8 cap. This place makes a billion dollars. Yeah, in, the, in this one month of June. Um, yeah. So... The bigger, like, so the thought with me on commercial right now, because I've been looking at that a lot, is the two items is obviously you have to be able to get a lift. You want to get a lift. Mm -hmm. And so how do you do that? Especially where rates are up and most businesses are getting beat down. Well, I think it's interesting that, that a lot are coming yeah. on. And I'm like, will you be able to make rate hikes? And will there be demand for more square footage if a lot of businesses are looking to downsize um, unable to get the money that they need, and as a whole, consumer spending's down, so they're just doing less business. Well, it, this is the gift and curse of of commercial leasing is that a lot of it is triple net, and and without going into too much detail, anyone who's not familiar with triple net leasing, basically it's like the tenant pays for everything, and mm -hmm. I don't mean like they just pay for their utilities. I mean they pay for everything. They pay to taxes. plow the driveway. <clears throat> they pay the taxes on the building. They pay the insurance on the building. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, some kid breaks the window. They're paying for that. The roof blows off in a storm. They're paying for that. They pay for everything. That's mm -hmm. called a triple net lease. And one of the things that you've probably seen here locally that they're passing down these big property tax increases that are, I think, on the average commercial one is like up like 2000 bucks. Like, it's insane. It it's insanity. significant. Yeah. On triple net leases, those are going direct to the tenant. So as a landlord, it's all great. You're like, oh, my costs actually aren't changing that much. But if your tenant's costs go through the roof, they may not be able to be in that place anymore. And that's kind of the risk in this particular scenario. Like it's good when the times are good, but it can get bad in a hurry if your tenant, you know, can't make those payments and you have a vacant space and you're trying to market at a time where, you know, businesses are a little tight with their cash. They know their own expenses are going to be really high. Uh, and you just got all these updated bills you need to show them. Be like, yeah, so this is what the property tax is and you're going to be paying that. This is what the insurance is. You're going to be paying that. So with that being said, do you buy commercial real estate? Because I think a lot of them are coming up and they're on triple net leases. And mm -hmm. I think if you're not in that market a lot, you're like, oh, this is a great opportunity because like, the expenses haven't really changed and the mm -hmm. rents are great yeah. and the price, prices come down. Then you notice they're three years into a four-year lease. And even the leases, oh my God, commercial is so good. Oftentimes the leases even have built-in oh, increases yeah. pegged to and inflation. You're not, you're not on a rent cap. Pegged to inflation. So be like, all right, uh, what we're going to do is at the end of every year, we'll see what the inflation rate uh -huh. is. And last what, year, you just got absolutely what, uh, hosed. That's what the rent's going to go up. So as a landlord, again, like it can be really lucrative in good times. But when stuff comes up for renewal, if you're a buyer, the first thing you need to look at is the term, the remaining term left on these leases. 100%. It's funny. I almost bought a strip mall uh, a few months back. And I'm now I'm kind of glad I didn't. But I was so excited because all of the renewals are coming up within that year. Mm -hmm. And now as the markets change over the last six months, I'm like, oh, God, that might not be the most fun thing to be re renegotiating yeah. right now. Because all they're like, oh, these, these can all go up. That's how they're yeah. pitching it. Like, all of these can go up. 
And I'm like, well, can they? Because I bet you all those businesses now are like, uh, my cash flow has just gone down by 50%. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, how much money is that vape store really making? Like, can they afford to... I mean, vapes go up. In recessions, people need to vape more. <laughs> and that's going to be my next vapes point. Vapes are recession-proof. That's I love my it. Next, well, that's my next point is, yes, I think you should buy commercial real estate, but you need to really consider who the tenants are because if they are recession-proof businesses like liquor, like tobacco, like tasty food... Well, those are also like institutional, like blue-chip tenants. Like, that, that's well, government. Not, government. Not, not vapes. Man, <laughs> institutional right. blue chip is you said to you said you said to vacuum y'all yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh my god that's yeah. right yeah but liquor obviously is is you know pretty but yeah well but like a bar a bar a bar like a bar is also something that like on average they can do well depending on what the location is yeah maybe a bar downtown is not going to do so hot because they have to charge so much for rent and they have to charge twenty dollars a drink yeah. but maybe more like your local neighborhood pub bar yeah is going to do really well because on I average, had clients, we, we, we had to back out of a deal because it had one, two, it, it had only actually two commercial tenants, one of which was really good, like federal government good, but small town, we hear from the grapevine that they were out shopping for another property. And the only reason they stayed in this property is because they couldn't make the other one work. And then you start thinking, oh crap, if we lose that tenant, which is like mm-hmm. literally in this town, that is the best tenant in the entire town. Mm-hmm. You lose that, you have a big square footage now that you're trying to fill. And yep. yes, they did renew for like two more years, but you know, someone renews for two years and they're already looking for other places, your chance of re-signing them is, is not good. And then through the process, we found out that the other tenant, which was a small little mom and pop shop, they were trying to get out of their lease and trying to sell their business. Good luck with that. And so all of a sudden the deal went from, we're excited about this to absolutely not. No friggin' way. And this is what you need. And that's how you need to look at commercial. Because it's not like residential at all. You can't just refill a space immediately. You could spend years on an empty space. And you, you've probably all seen that when you're driving down the road and you see commercial space for lease. And you're like, man, that yeah. sign's been up for two and a half years. And you're like, yep, and that space has been empty for two and a half years. Yep. Um, so I'm, I wanted to talk about this because I think there's a lot of deals coming up. And I think you're going to see more deals coming up. And I think it's a lot of people that are experienced in that world are trying to offload. Because during downturns, they commercial doesn't necessarily do that well. But I do think there are still opportunities in certain spaces to do well. I think storage is one that's historically mm-hmm. proven to be really good because people are downsizing. They're taking on, okay, I'm going to get rid of my 2,000 square foot space, go to 1,000 square feet and take on a storage locker. Yeah. Whether it be that be on the both the residential side and on the commercial side. Um, and then, like I just said, there's things that do well during recession. So maybe research those, those businesses and see what they are. And then if those are within your space or you think they can fill up a space, that might be something worth considering. Additionally, you can do a place under, put a place under contract for, four or five months and try and shop and find a tenant to fill that space. I've mm-hmm. sold commercial buildings where they're empty and we will find a tenant during that conditional period to take it over. The other thing is like if you're looking to pivot because you're not getting the lift that you once got in residential and you're struggling with the rent controls and all these things, you're, you're basically handcuffed at every turn. Commercial doesn't have that. So if you become an expert at commercial, you could buy a property that isn't on triple net leases, but know that the market in that area would support a triple net lease and imagine you could just re-sign people and say, I'm not paying the property tax bill. Mm-hmm. And the property tax bill and something like that might be fifteen, twenty, could be fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Right away, that's a pretty big change in, in in your bottom line. So you can get really good lifts in commercial if you're managing well. My question though is is right now it's hard to know why an opportunistic, um, you know, a, a good opportunity offering on a commercial space um, with good lease potential, why a seller would sell that right now. It's the same reason a lot of people kill them selling $100 million of property right now. It's yeah. the same reason a service lot of companies debt, are. Yeah. It's, it's the service debt. Um, if you're bi- It gets to a point where you get so big that like you'll have renewals coming up. Yeah, and you and don't like them. Yeah. You don't like them, but you can't even yeah. necessarily make up the difference. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we, I think we play in a world where it's like, oh, our, our rate went up 2.5%. It sucks, but we can still survive. But when you have $100 million coming due and it goes up 2.5%, you're like, oh, shit. Well, it's not just that. It's... If that asset starts underperforming, your relative share, to the rest of it, but but it's it, it's all shareholder value, mm-hmm. right? And they operate on profits. Yeah, they don't care. Well, they, they care. Revenue matters, but profits matter more. And if you take the exact same building and change the debt servicing, especially in a rent controlled market, that asset is going to decline in profit. And these big companies, they're at the end of the day, they're they're real estate companies, but they're really investment companies. And yeah. that's like saying we're looking at keeping an asset that we know is about to drop, you know, 10% in value from our perspective. 
And oftentimes it's not from a market perspective because they can still sell that damn property to the next person for more than it's worth as an asset on their books. But they're they're concerned with assets, but they're really concerned with line items and profit margins. So at times like this, they're liquidating some of their stuff to keep profits in line with what they were historically if a place is up for renewal. Exactly. They, they, they have the underperforming assets. I think, I think a lot of it is to have cash to have cash on hand, honestly. Um, but that would be the same reason someone would be selling commercial property uh, is they may have something going on somewhere else. And they may, yeah. a lot of times, if we're talking on the smaller scale, a lot of times they're business owners that have other businesses going on or a business in that space and they need yeah. to downsize. Or maybe they were land holding that property and thinking like, oh, maybe I'll do something. And now they're like, you know what? I'm not going to build there. Forget it. Onto something else, yeah. It's not feasible. What right? other industries and uh, sectors? Well, it, that's why I want to switch to residential because I think that applies to more people. Um, do you buy right now or do you wait? And I, I want to start with because we get this question so much, and yeah. I know we're thinking about it a lot. Yeah, hundred percent. If you're buying residentially, and I honestly want to say sub like four units, you're not going to time the bottom. No, I mean it's so hard. You're not going to time the top. Yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of you that wanted to sell stuff that didn't list in April of last year. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you're also not going to time the bottom. Like, And no one knows for sure there's no magic ball, there's no crystal ball that's going to tell you the answer because there's a ton of global factors that play into it that are going to impact things and they impact you on your micro level. Um, but we talked about this on, on the way over here is the same rules, we've said this a bunch of times, apply, which is you really need to focus on having quality properties, quality locations. Like you, you take care of them properly. They're maintained. You do your leasing properly. Those things will give strength in what you have. And when you take over a place, if you do that again and you, you follow those same principles, if there's a little bit of a dip up and down, it doesn't really matter. if you're And, and then you need to think about your objective of how long are you holding this, right? Like that's something that you really need to consider. I think a lot of people don't think about this. Like, like, I'm just buying real estate because like it's a good thing to get and like mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But what the hell is your objective? And yeah, there might be a, t- a four unit deal that's really good, but does it really play into your objective and does it make sense because then you have to go drive an hour somewhere else to manage it? Or like, what is the upside? And if you think it's going to be flatlined, even if it's a great deal, does it really make any sense? Um, yeah, does it serve you if in theory, if, if theory fits flat for two years, then you could also just buy two years from now. You know what I mean? Um, that that's yeah, the thing, and I so I, I think I don't know that there's a set answer for for me. I'm gonna say I'm I am selectively purchasing, uh, but as many of you know, I've said it many times. I'm trying to purchase in potentially the states, so I'm holding cash for that. Uh, additionally, I do want to divest into more businesses and less predominantly real estate, and so I'm keeping cash for that as well. And so I I think it's still gonna be an opportune time, and I think seeing this idea that Canada is going to be like, we need to keep our, our real estate market alive. We've always kind of said it, but they don't think they've directly said it. But now they're saying it directly that we need to keep the real estate market alive. To me, reminds me that, you know what, Canada at the end of the day, is so heavily reliant on real estate, they can't let it fail. They just can't let that turn over. And so I feel secure in some ways. And that's why internationally people buy here, mm-hmm. right? Because we have a secure market like that because we're so heavily reliant on it. Um, so I think buying like a single family, duplex, whatever it is, I don't think you can time the bottom. If the numbers make sense right now, I don't think it's a bad idea. I do think to hedge your bets and to, to watch your own back, this is, again, where a fixed term can make a lot of sense because then you know, you know what? If I take a three-year fixed term and it makes money right now, you know you're going to be making money for the next three years. Yeah. Right? And so then you're comfortable and we all project that within three, four years, we should be in more of a recovery mode where it's, and well, not recovery, sorry, growth mode. And you'll be back to taking along. No, not necessarily 20% year over year, but back to what it was of three to 5% a year which is what you should be expecting on real estate. You shouldn't be buying and expecting that you're going to be able to see these massive 20% gains year over year. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, if you're buying larger apartment complexes with a ton of units, I think you need to be really cautious. And I think you're being forced to be cautious. And I think that's what Chandler and I are facing right now is we find stuff like, man, this is a great deal. But it was a great deal to a year ago because where the rates were. And now yeah. we're, we're going in to apply for mortgage. And it's like, man, this is sweet. Like, it's X amount per door. Uh, it's got all these units, blah, blah, blah. And the bank's like, yeah, cool, man. 60% loan to value. Okay, you want to go to CMHC? 75% or 80% loan to value. And you're like, wait a second. Do I really want to sign off to CMHC to only get 80% loan to value? Yeah. Right? Like, now I have to follow all these rules that are, that are for in 10 place. Years and for 10 years. For 10 years. Yeah. Exactly. So these are 
And so the bank is, is almost doing the risk mitigation for you. Um, but I think that's also an indicator that right now, if you're going to buy something, make sure it's really good because you only have so much, unless you have infinite cash, there's only so much cash to go around. And so you got to make really sh- shrewd decisions on what you buy because it's not going to be the, the days of you put down uh, your down payment and then immediately you can try and like lever against it to yeah. go buy something else. It's going to be like, you're going to be able to make a few selective purchases right now. And that probably, that might be your cash holding tapped and there might be might nothing be for left three to years. For three years. three years, yeah. Exactly, right? So so really think it through because then you also end up in the Killam shoes. That's a part of the reason I think Killam's liquidating. On top of keeping a balance sheet, I don't think they're as concerned on keeping a happy balance sheet. Not in the, in the short term because, okay, cool, mm. the stock goes down three, four bucks. That's not going to absolutely... De- if you look it's at It's not going to destroy them, but man, that, that does have some consequences. They're already down like $4 a share from yeah. from like six months ago. Like it's... It, it, it has some consequences, but I don't think that's their, their major indicator. At the end of the day, they're like, we want to have some cash to be able to acquire again. And we get, like you said, get rid of underperforming assets and really clean up the book. Well, and I think it, I think also they're like, okay, let's take this cash. They have the option to selectively put it on debt short term, but then they know that they can take that back whenever they want it. So it's kind of two birds with one stone. You get the cash um, to have ready to go, but you also they do keep it through your lines debt of servicing. You, you keep your debt servicing down because you put it on on principle on places, right? My last point I want to make on all of this, because uh, I've kind of rambled, but is Killam is selling right now. This is not the best time to be selling. It would have been April of last year or February of last year. Yeah, yeah. Killam, someone who's got billions of dollars of assets, analysts, some of the best real estate investors in Canada, like all of this combined didn't time the market perfectly. <clears throat> yeah. And the, the products that they're selling are smaller, so they would have absolutely killed the sales if they sold them last spring. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And so to think if you're out there and you think you can time the market, like it's just not possible. Well, that's, oh, oh I say that too. Like if, if people could really predict real estate accurately, how come everyone didn't buy in 2018? Or even like if people knew how COVID would, would impact things, why didn't everyone buy March 2020 and then promptly sell April, May of 2022? Like no, no one had that level of knowledge. Um, or if they did, they, they would have. Right, and some people like say, "No, I basically did." That's like, well, you probably did by accident, and chances are you didn't buy a hundred properties, right. which is what you you should have done in theory if you knew. Exactly, I say it all the time. I got super lucky with the timing of my purchases, but li- listen to the people around you, but don't let them dictate what you're doing. Because right now there'll be lots of fear and sentiment in the market, like, "What the hell are you doing?" Blah blah blah. You need to do your own due diligence and understanding what you're buying, projecting where you think rates can go, and like I've always done, run your worst case scenario. Run your absolute worst case scenario on where rates could be, where rents could be, and be like, okay, does this still all make sense for me? Yes, it does. And okay, then you can probably still make the purchase. But if you're like trying to run off, you should never do this, whether the market's up or down, of being like, oh, it's if this goes perfectly well and this happens exactly the way it should and the rents go up and the cap rates go down and blah, 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 blah I'm going to be able to make that sliver of money. Like you shouldn't have never, you should have never been doing that and you got away with it in the last couple of years. Yeah. Moving forward, you're not going to get away with it. I just realized I drifted aggressively here to my left, and I think my hand is probably in like every shot when you're talking. But oh, anyway, yeah. people who watch it, no, we're good. Okay. I was just, I got a hard lean over here. Um, just to wrap up, because we do need to wrap up here, I wanted to get a little bit personal and a little bit philosophical or, oh, God. or, or reflective. No, but this relates to the conversations we've been having. And um, I suffer from acute FOMO, oh, right? Yeah. Like, when, so, when I hear someone got a deal on something, I'm jealous. I wish I got the deal. Yeah. When I hear of a good opportunity on a property, I want to get it no matter what's going on in my life, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, that is just how I'm wired, and I hate that about myself. Like, he's um, buying duplexes. And it, it's not um, it, it's not in a spiteful way. Like, I, I'm happy for other people's successes, but I always wish, like, yeah, me too. Like, could I get that? Could I get this? Could I get that? And I always feel like... It's exciting. You know, it, it's exciting, and, and I always hate missing out on an opportunity. Um, but you asked me this and it was good. And, and, you know, I've got some close friends that, you know, shout out to the heavy hitters. We, we reflect on this sort of stuff every now and again. It's like, what is the actual goal? Mm-hmm. And you and I had a chat the other night and I've come to realize, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is, is one, there is an ego component to it. I think anyone who develops, who owns real estate, there's ego involved there. There has to be. 100%. Right? Take the, the Not doing it from the goodness takes, of their heart. Like there, there's an element of, of personal ego involved. Yep. Because um, ego is not always inherently negative. Yep. Um, then there's the fact that I genuinely want to leave a mark on, on my city. Like I know 
after I die, no one's going to remember me or, or talk about me, but it'll be kind of cool that there'll be certain I'll parts of me around the city. Uh, you're probably going to die before me. Questionably. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the other thing, from a very practical standpoint, is I would like to leave these buildings to my children and maybe even to my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And you made a good point where you're like, well, you probably have enough then, <laughs> right? Because um, yeah. I don't even know if my kids are going to want the damn properties, in which case I will sell them and give them the money, but whatever. The idea is to have enough that they don't have to go through um, some of the you know literal insecurities that I felt um, growing up and starting my life of like, what if like I can't make ends meet, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that deep-seated fear is part of what drives me just as much as the ego stuff and not wanting them to have that and, frankly, not wanting their children to have it either. And But then it's like, to your point, I probably have enough. Like, if I just paid these off and at some point split them up between my boys and, you know, maybe set one or two things aside for my grandkids, it's probably enough. Mm-hmm. And then what? how do I want to live my life? Well, you have a finite period of time with your children, uh, after they turn 17, like your time spent with them drops off a cliff and you then don't really see them anymore. And so maybe I want to spend more of my time with them. And that is hopefully, I know myself, it's probably not going to slow me down, but it makes me consider deals a little bit more differently because we are getting a lot of things across our desk right now, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I want that. I want that too. Well, I don't want to miss out on that one. Like, can you leave me in on this one? Like, I want, I want, I want. And then the question is like, well, to what end? What's the goal here? Um, it's also made me change my outlook a little bit because like, man, do I really want to drop like a thousand units on them? Like say I pass away, sadly, you know, and they're, R. say R. they're 27, R. right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe I go young, <laughs> like, you know, um, like and I'm what, I'm going to drop a thousand units on them and say like, here you go, like that's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be crippling to them. Yeah. Um, even if I've kind of, prep them and all that and um you know maybe it's it's too much anyway so that's made me think a little it's bit differently business. about it's, the, to, it, it's not just an investment once you get to that amount of units it's, oh. it's a business and so you're passing a business down and it's like any business like you hear business owners all the time like yeah like we've had the restaurant but kids don't want to run it yeah i'm also at the size right now where i manage everything myself and if i get much bigger it's like no no you're gonna like i've There's got i've got supers and individual properties that managed in like little kind of patchwork things but i'm going to need staff i'm going to need employees i'm going to need you know everything right so it it has kind of made me stop and think a little bit and this is the time this is also when deals are coming up um there's less momentum and pressure of like okay the market's hot you got to buy oh my gosh this is here boom we got to buy that you're gonna flip that blah 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 um so i guess my takeaway from that in the context of this conversation we're having is to try to every now and again revisit well what's the actual goal here right like, what are you trying to get to? What point are you trying to get to? Are you trying to get four rental properties Let's so that you're that home? Let's make that the next pod. Okay. We'll make that the next pod. But something to think about here. Something to think about. Going. We're going to make it in the next pod because we are at 70 minutes. Um, yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. Let's tune in next time as well because we're going to be going over what the heck the goal is, why you're doing it, um, and kind of what the consideration is because yeah. I think that's a really big conversation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thanks as always for listening, guys. Really appreciate the love and support. Like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out. Broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits.